Hello everyone and welcome to the podcast of English composer Andrew Downs. My name is Paula Downs, I am Andrew's younger daughter and on today's show I'm really excited to introduce you to world-renowned jazz guitarist and bassist Fred Thelonious Baker. Fred was a student at Birmingham School of Music, which is now Royal Birmingham Conservatoire, from 1979 and studied composition with my dad. In the late 80s, my dad went on to invite Fred to teach at Birmingham Conservatoire as part of his new School of Composition and Creative Studies. Fred has been a permanent teacher stroke lecturer in acoustic and bass guitar there ever since. In the mid-90s, my dad composed his concerto for guitar, electric bass guitar and strings for Fred playing electric bass guitar and Simon Dinnigan playing acoustic guitar. They recorded it for CD in 1999 with string players from the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra. Andrew Downs conducted the work himself. Here is movement one. Thank you. 
Purchase this CD or download the tracks at andrewdowns.com where you can also purchase the sheet music and learn more about the work from the blog of Andrew's wife and publisher, Cynthia Downs. Fred Thelonious Baker is a jazz guitarist and bassist from the English village of Tibshelf, Derbyshire. Born in 1960, Fred was given a ukulele when he was four by his father. Indeed, Fred's parents were a major influence in the beginning of his musical journey. A year later, he was given his first guitar and went on to learn the classical guitar. During his mid-teens, Fred also began an interest in the bass guitar, an instrument with which he has since become synonymous. After studying at Chesterfield College, Fred went on to study at Birmingham School of Music, now Royal Birmingham Conservatoire, where he gained a GBSM and ABSM in teaching and performance. Around this time, at the invitation of Sir John Dankworth and Cleo Lane, Fred began teaching at Wavendon All Music Summer School. Since then, Fred has taught and given masterclasses at many universities, music colleges and music summer schools, 
including Guildhall School of Music and Drama, Berklee College of Music, USA, St. Petersburg Conservatory, Russia, London Brunel, Huddersfield, Sheffield and Derby Universities. Since 1989, he has been a permanent teacher-lecturer in acoustic and bass guitar at Birmingham Conservatoire. Fred has performed all over the world as a session musician and soloist with a variety of musicians and ensembles including Courtney Pine, Nigel Kennedy, Billy Cobham, the CBSO, Fairport Convention, Robert Wyatt, Harry Beckett, Horace Parlan, Soft Machine, John Etheridge, Pitt Pyle, Rick Sanders, Karen Street, Joe Zaxer, Tony Levin, Phil Bates, Clive Bunker, Elton Dean, Simon Dinnegan, Jeff Eels, Liam Genicky and Phil Miller. As both a jazz guitarist and bassist, Fred has appeared extensively on many recordings. We will be hearing some of these over the course of this podcast episode. So now I am delighted to introduce you to Fred Thelonious Baker. How did you get into music in the first place and why did you learn the guitar? Well, I suppose some of that was inevitable, but it's not always the case, is it? People do different instruments from their parents. My dad was a guitarist, you know, played plectrum guitar, early electric guitar, actually, and classical guitar, you know. And then my dad became a teacher of that, and I had the music all around me, so I was listening to things like Segovia and John Williams and people like that, but it was the whole music thing. And the jazz guitar, very early, you know, Django Reinhardt, people like that, and Charlie Christian. So we had all these records around, and Big Bull Blues, and the blues was a big part of it all. So it was this whole mixture of the classical stuff and, you know, the jazz rock, early rock and the folk music. I mean, I was just listening to all this stuff, and I had a little guitar, a uke or something, when I was about four years old, this started playing, and they got me, and then a little guitar I think when I was about five we dad fixed up and I started to play and then you could see I was playing naturally by ear and stuff and then started to teach me properly I suppose I really had to show that I wanted to do it I think about eight or nine or something like that and then I went on from there and studied the classical guitar with my dad and did my own stuff on it and I loved all kinds of music just the guitar was a nice way and the electric bass is interesting because I remember my mum even started to play a little bit when she was young there was red bass in the corner and it vanished you know I always wondered what happened to it and I think she had to circus in the some money for something yeah your dad was he a professional guitarist then yeah it was great big fred was and a real encouragement you know i used to play sometimes duets with my father which was great you know uh classical guitar and also my dad i think he taught me first things just playing by with blues things doing some early blues and Django Reinhardt, charlie christian so yeah we used to do duets that's why my love of doing duets on the guitar came from that early stages and listening to that stuff but yeah playing the solo guitar I mean obviously it's very useful to do that particularly now in the last year being on my own you know yeah. a lot of the time you know I would love to play with my wife Birgit but she's not been able to play very much at all she's been pretty seized up in her arms on that you know to play record and stuff and whistles but yeah so the early days and there was all this guitar music around me so I suppose what some people got later on I got quite I was very fortunate we didn't have much money but music was everything you know music and arts because my mum's an artist of course it's all wonderful 
paintings and cards and stuff. So there was all that stuff around me. So in a way, where some people discover that later in life, if they kind of go backwards to discover what's happened. I was doing it all the time from the early 1960s, really, yeah, and sort of through there, you know. Well, that sounds amazing. Sounds like a really idyllic upbringing. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, I liked everything. We even had a harmonium from it, we had, as I remember. So I always loved the organ, the church organ, you see. I always wanted to play it. So they let me learn the piano, I think, from about mid-teens. You had to learn piano first then, which I really enjoyed as well, the second instrument. And then I did percussion and stuff in the youth because I learned percussion and I played drums, I think, in a school band with some old mates when we were at school and stuff. So it's nice doing different things. I think it's good to, if you get the opportunity to do different things in life. And of course, singing in choirs and things is great as well. I had a really good school choir and a music school as well I went to. We had a Saturday morning music school in North Knox at the time. It was excellent. Wow. And then, of course, by the time we got to the what's now the Conservatoire, the BSA of Birmingham, then it was all the things happening there as well later on. How did you end up going to Birmingham School of Music? Well, that's a good thing. What happened is, I mean, I was looking at colleges back in the mid-70s, having the opportunity and chance to go to do it. So I got the stuff for grades. I did a pre-course as well at Chesterfield College. It used to be a wonderful foundation course that a friend of my father's, who worked with sometimes, who was a cellist in the Halley Orchestra, he run a course. And it was a really good foundation to music courses. And fortunately, it's gone like a lot of things. But it was great at the time. Met other friends and things. And then I sort of went from there. And a friend of my father's, uh, Linda Darnell, great singer, she said, well, I'm studying doing me extra stuff at Birmingham why not think about there to go on I think she actually took me down for the audition and that's where I went for the thing and after going to other places I don't want to put anywhere else down but I found that Birmingham was the most friendly place and that's where I first met your father Andrew and Stephen Dorn various other people the sort of whole crew the first thing round and then I got this wonderful news I got an unconditional place there and the real of what I did and that was it so I had to fight to get some kind of <laughs> Granted, do it was very difficult then with the authorities with music. I mean, they, I think they're trying not to rate it anymore. I mean, it's a crazy situation we're going through. But yeah, so I was really lucky. Before that as well, I mean, some of the summer schools I went on. There's a great classical guitar I want to went down to him. Oh, I was about 14 or so. Yeah. And then uh, Cannington, that was a lovely course. And then the summer schools and the all music course that John Dankworth and Cleo Lane rang. That's how I first met because my father knew John Dankworth back in the 50s, you know, back in when he was doing session stuff in London and stuff. Oh, wow. But yeah, they got me to go there and that's how I made the connection and John was very encouraging and everything and Claire and I used to play with them sometimes at the same time I went to Birmingham and I met other people and that's where through a friend of mine Rachel Perry and was there and Julia they knew uh, Rick Sanders who was of course great violinist with Fairport and everything now but at the time he had this great band he was in Soft Machine as well before and the Albion band and uh, he had this band called Second Vision which was with John Etheridge Soft Machine and Stephen Grappelli and stuff great which I'm going to be working with John again soon I was at some party just playing solo bass things actually he says what are you doing next year and that was it I got a gig with basically with John and Rick it was the Etheridge Sanders group which was playing the music of Second Vision because yeah. that's it change the name to be able to tour or something some contractual thing with Chrysalis with a record label so anyway so I was thrown into doing this tour and playing on Ronnie Scott's show and Brian Matthews sessions and so I started straight away getting my own stuff played as well which is amazing to go from just doing session with other people I felt like kind of arrived at that it was great because I got the time while I was at college they let me have the time to go on tour which is fantastic so I've gone straight into doing that because John heard me play at Wavendon you see that was a nice thing because he was teaching guitar there so they all kind of connected up yeah and that led on to all these other great things as well. Like. And I managed to finish my course and do all the competition. I had a great time at Birmingham. And, you know, it was great with Andrew and all the team there in the early days. You know. Did you meet my dad? That must have been about 1979, I think. Yeah. Oh, right. That's the year of my birth. 
<laughs> is that yeah so 78 79 i was looking so yeah that's when i went to birmingham and then that was it started down there then eventually you know because i had an extra year or something doing stuff you know i see and he was your composition teacher yeah that was it so i could do composition as part of things so it's class guitar and i should do composition it was great because we used to all play in each other's pieces and that and things when we're all doing things and playing in the orchestra you know it was, yeah it was a, an absolute magic time that and that sort of gave me the encouragement to carry on and do things as well you know andrew was great you know i think with a lot of people he brought a lot of people out the shell with trying to compose and get things done he's so key sort of linchpin on it which obviously led to other things later you know yeah yeah so do you have any particular memories of any particular lessons you had or he sort of made everything possible that was i remember once it was like i think it was all complete mike gibbs once told me it's up to you to make things happen and write and you know and it's almost gave you this thing that everything's possible i think that was one of the things andrews got us in one lesson once i remember and i sort of took that away and it's it wasn't this thing of this stiff composition you get some places you must do this and that yeah there's techniques to learn about doing certain things but also that you know the natural of composition and free composition andrew is fantastic for encouraging that and also looking at as many things as possible as well i think yeah. for different inspirations so yeah that was great i think the great thing as well was getting things played you know andrew is really keen on trying to get things played it's always with the element of wanting things to be performed or recorded in some shape or form so it was such a great encourager with it and how did you find the atmosphere there it was great i think that right through i mean for me that magical period well coming back because when i got invited back andrew some years later when they saw me playing and touring and going and doing all this stuff all over the world it was like Andrew was one of the first people to invite me back you know to come and actually do some master class well to do a concert and then some master classes and stuff and then it went on from there he said well how do you feel about once I'm thinking about starting up the, the creative studies thing and you know teaching electric guitar and bass and some alternative stuff so it sort of got me really involved I was teaching at various other places and colleges but this was just an opportunity that was fantastic right from the very start of the school of creative studies yeah so it must have been about 1989 sort of to 90 i mean that's when it really started to kick in and obviously you got great people like what's well, I mean, martin that you'd interviewed and that riley and that i mean it's great and we're still in contact which is great yeah i see martin yeah superb i saw all these great characters come out of course joe broughton i mean we had people like that coming through the whole thing in fact joe says creative studies thing was such a good outlet for people that maybe didn't fit into the regular kind of format of things so again it's this thing if you could try anything out in terms of performance or composition it was really open-ended you know it's like a really a bit like the old music policy in some ways i remember john bank with that you know like looking at every aspect of music you know and that was such a great vibrant time i mean I would say that 10 years was some of the greatest period in my life between 1990 and 2000. Because unfortunately, it all changed a bit. I mean, Andrew will tell you then, it kind of went through a bit of a change, the whole conservatoire, didn't it? Of course, he got ill as well, which was a real sad thing. I think trying to keep up with all the stuff there was, you know, getting too much with all the, the ways everything's changed with the Bureau because everything else you get with universities and stuff, unfortunately. I mean, obviously, there's still a lot of great stuff going on, but it's taken a lot more hoops to get it through there. And, you know, I was 10 in 1990, and that period i loved coming into the conservatoire the atmosphere has been building for years and then it just kind of got even better you know it's just like fantastic i mean all the opportunities we could do and then you know just having this combination of great young people coming along like i had the chance to hook up with as well like joe brought i mean he's done fantastic what were the folk ensemble it's really unique no one else has quite got anything like it you know obviously having joe around over the years has been fantastic all the other people that's come through the creative studies you know it's been incredible over the years 
Yeah, absolutely. It's so unique. So what's your role now? Well, now I've been teaching some of the people on BMUS course still doing odd things you know, with the guitar and electric bass. People who do it sometimes take and study with me, which is nice. So they might be a performer, single composer, or the technology department there is quite big as well. And just other instruments, you know. So I still do some of that so they can have some time on the instruments, which is fantastic. And of course, teaching mainly on the kind of jazz course, you know, but I do the more specialist stuff rather than the full time thing. Because one of my aims of things the last few years is doing the more specialist kind of stuff solo guitar and bass stuff. kind of more cross fertilization of ideas and the one thing i will be put in charge when we're allowed to do it again is a great friend of mine who came examining as well who worked with the years phil miller and who knew your dad as well you know because andrew got him to come up and do master classes with getting the people out of in cahoots the band that we had and soft machine and everything but that was another great thing with creators because we used to have such amazing access to workshops stuff i think we had doug boyle as well came up with phil once he used to play with robert plant and everything so it, it was all this great mix of people could i could actually bring in with all my connections as well then. and john yeah Etheridge, of course you know all the people who did the examining for andrew you know so we had a good team of people over all of the years so obviously i'm still involved in that course which helped set up and andrew initially helped with the setup of that as well because jeremy's a at a department i was a student there all those years ago and that and he's stuck with it and kept it on and developing he's got other people now in which helps to run the whole thing we've got the club there it's fantastic but we can't do anything <laughs> it's um with the covid thing it's wonderful um it's definitely that so many of you have gone through and then stayed and taught people it's just amazing yeah come back over the years well for me one of the great things as well i think which andrew saw one of my great visions particularly i mean i was that play classical guitar and the kind of electric guitar a bit and acoustic guitar but the uh, thing was the electric bass is my big area of development you know, i spent a lot of time trying when I was young, my teens, I always could see, although people didn't see at the time, oh, what instrument, you know, what can it do? Just a thing in the back of a band. But I mean, it's such a particular fretless bass. I mean, what brought it to the fore in the 70s were great people like Jacko Pastores and that with Johnny Mitchell and with Well Report and stuff. People when he heard this fantastic melodic bass. And I always thought that side of it could use, be used in classical music. And I used to play classical music on the electric bass right from being quite young to help me get a hook on it, you know, playing particularly Bach and stuff, you know, it was really useful on the instrument. And um, I can imagine it would be fantastic in Bach. Just to Yeah, well, that's, I think that's what Andrew heard me play something like that and played some cells and played like that to Carter, which I love the organ. So I tried to see if I could do it on the bass. And it's other things that have influenced me to try and do the bass sometimes, not just bass players. It's, you know, I mean, jazz-wise, I was listening to a lot of the great double bass players, you know, and just like Ray Brown and that. That was an influence for me being quite young. I always thought the electric bass sometimes and other music wasn't quite used to its full potential. And after hearing that, and all great classical double bass players, well, I thought, well, why can't you do something with the electric bass and make it really have its own kind of angle and voice, you know? Here is movement two from Andrew Downs' Concerto for Guitar, Electric Bass Guitar and Strings, performed by Fred Thelonious Baker on the electric bass guitar. Simon Dinnigan on the acoustic guitar and strings from the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, conducted by the composer.
Was it your idea to do the concerto? Well, I think it was Andrew's idea that he wanted to, I've got, you know, this idea to combine it. And of course, I think I talked to Andrew probably years ago about this thing with the bass and the particular, the practice electric, you know, the vocal kind of quality to the instrument. And I always thought it's something, again, that could be used in the course in the concerto. It really brings it into it in a really melodic musical way as well. Because I mean, somebody could have wrote a concerto that's really clashing kind of, you know, just all those technical difficulties and that because a lot of harmony work in it for some people that are probably not so familiar with that side of the extended range. For me, it's, I describe it being a bit like a vocalist where, you know, you've got falsetto where you can actually jump the octaves and that. They call it false harmonics. Yeah, I suppose it's a similar thing. And I've always been playing with harmonics since I was a kid on the guitar, but I found them better on the bass because of the length of the string. You get much more harmonic resonance. So, I that, so I've been mucking around with harmonics since I was in my teens because I was doing it on my own, but then I heard all these great solo bass pieces with people people like Jacko on that and it was like real that inspired me just to get on and do it you know in a lot of ways and just carry on and that's why I suppose I was picked up by people like John Etheridge and Rick and stuff and everybody else you know and John Nankworth was very enthusiastic about the bass of course Andrew must have shared the vision that I always thought that how it worked because he asked me about ranges and sounds and everything and to make that whole tonality work you know did you talk a lot with him during the composition yeah it was great actually with Andrew what we used to do very often and I think it was in the early day mobile phones it's suddenly phoned me and said, I've got this idea. And in fact, he asked me a lot about the guitar things when he couldn't get hold of Simon. He'd say, is this chord, describe it, is it possible to play it and things like that? So when if I said it, yes or no, like, you know, because that's the problem is that the sounds exist, but it's, well, you've got the fingers to play them, you know, that's yeah. always the thing, you know, so pushing the ranges on things or, you know, how many um, chords you could play, yeah, you know, whether it's possible, yeah. You know.
know, some some of those big Spanish chords, for instance, uh, Andrew asked me, because he was trying to put them with the whole things, and I said, the problem is you can't get them like that on the guitar, you know. Yeah. Without, you know so it was great. It was like a complete, he'd ring me, he says, can you play this phrase at all on guitar or whatever? Or how does that work on the bass and that? So it was constantly like that. Or I'd just have time with Andrew. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we'd love to go for a drink sometimes after things as well and talk through it. So no, it's, it's just great socialism at the time, you know, as well. You know. And that's really nice to hear that it was very collaborative then. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. So it was like a complete thing. It was great sometimes. Bring up, I've got this idea. I'm stuck on this bit. <laughs> And uh, it was great, absolutely. And I loved it. I mean, it was just such a great opportunity. The good thing I did, I managed to hook them up with a record company, which um, I was with, with a classic print. Lucky at the time, which had unfortunately all went bust, but at least he got the rights back to the album and that, to put it all together, you know. Oh, it's a beautiful recording. Was it fun to make? Well, yeah, of course we did this. I mean, I always think about it. So it used to be again. This is great. Just having another good listen to it. It's like, because it brings back memories of the old concert, the old recital hall and the big hall, Aiden Hall Hall. And of course it had a nice acoustic for playing that kind of music. So Chris Thorpe, who's an older friend, a great engineer and master engineer, and also a good musician because you need a, somebody who's an engineer like Chris to actually master something like can look at scores and work yeah. through and say, I need this bit from there to there to link it all together. Because most of it was played pretty much live down in one go, but there's other bits that said, I need this section redoing and he mapped free, just joined a bit of editing to get it really good. Oh, that's great. And the sound and the ambience and that and understands it. Obviously specifically written, not just as a piece, but for Simon and yourself to play. Yeah. What was the premiere like? Did you enjoy the premiere? Oh, the premiere. Yeah, I remember when we did the live. Yeah, that was good. Was that the same players or was it conservatoire players? I think it was conservatoire players, wasn't it? I think it must have been tying on something. I remember that premiere. It was amazing and very strange to see an electric bass guitar on the stage. Well, and a guitar as well, doing a concerto together. Yeah. But amazing. Just an amazing sound. And so exciting. Well, that's the thing. It's the excitement of music. I mean, it got that beauty of the... Which I always loved it, Dad. You always say slow moves really to bring out the character of the bass, but it does speak slower than other instruments. But you can, with control, obviously play faster passages. I mean, that is the thing with the instrument. And it also, I thought about one of the big things is like some students. One of the things you've got, Freddie, is, is you've got this, you don't have to touch anything. I don't, even though it's electric, I don't touch anything. I just play completely like it's the touch of an acoustic instrument. So you have to really pull it to get the sound or you have to gently caress it to get the dynamics, you know. So all the dynamics were done by pure control. There was no mucking around with volumes and stuff. And that's the thing the students get from me is that it's not just a one horse trick pony that you play in a band. It's like, which you have to know how to get in a band and really drive it along and play. I mean, that's been part of my life, but also this other side to the instrument. It was great to just have that opportunity, which is a dream for me. Andrew helped make that come true. I mean, that was it, and playing it live a few times. I managed to do it a couple of times in some different orchestras over the years, and hopefully be some young players have a go at doing it as well, and that's what I'd like to see, you know. Yeah, that'd be amazing. But going back to your performance of the piece, I mean, I absolutely love, I adore your playing. I particularly like the way that you did those, Um, I think they're kind of like croons, do you know what I mean? You like do a slide, a little oh, yeah. slide into notes. Glissandos, yeah. I don't know if they were written into the music or if you just put them in yourself. Well, some of it, Andrew did give a little bit of flexibility because when I'm playing particularly written classical stuff, I try to do it exactly as I can for a composer. But then if they say, oh, can you do this? Or, or you're free to try a little bits around it or see what you think about phrasing on it. So that's the thing on the practice. It's a bit like going into early music with Baroque music, with embellishments, you know, turns and sizes. There's naturally this thing that I think it's the thing I thought about. 
about it with Andrew's writing. Some of this has got like almost like blues phrases, but in a different kind of way, if you know what I mean, in the modal sense, you know. I mean, that's one of the things I really love reflecting on it is the kind of sort of modal sounds that uh, Andrew used in that composition and the multi-harmonic and rhythmic stuff, which is really, again, makes it exciting. Yeah. But yeah, that thing of, that's the thing I got from playing, I, think, I suppose. I wish obviously get big glissandos in classical music, but yeah, the hammering and the, the way I play that is something that's come through from doing all the other stuff that's been incorporated into it. So, and it helps the bass sing, I think. That's the other thing is playing in front is and playing in tune, obviously they've got perfect pitch, but it don't guarantee it being in tune, but it's if I've got big enough hands to stretch it at the interval, um, that's the thing. And also uh, glissando, I mean, it's a big, you know, you listen to it in all orchestral music or in duos, I mean, some great cello music, you know, that's got fantastic glisses in, in it. I think it's one of the, not for it, I'm just trying to think now, it's got wonderful, you know, glissandos. And I, I think that's the thing with the fretless, you get this one, you can play slow glissandos, where on the fretted bass, it's very hard to do a slow glissando. I use my fretted bass on a lot of solo stuff, but it's great for the frets and the harmonics, but the fretless, it really means you can move things around. And phrasing into the notes, that's the things you can do on it. You know, it's how you gliss into the notes, you know, and hammering and pulling up, you know, it's the way you use all that articulation, you know, which has partly come from playing acoustic instruments as well. It's just really beautiful. Yeah, and shaping sounds and dynamics, I mean, that's the thing people don't realise, they say to me, can you play dynamics on a trick bass? And I say, well, yeah, it depends. It's very simple how you pull it or hit it or whatever, but it gets a bad reputation sometimes on an electric bass because a lot of people just plug in and play and play at one level. Whereas it actually got all these different, you know, dynamic levels to play and different sounds. Obviously, I use a lot of different things when I'm playing live sometimes, but uh, I tend to like, like some players, I tend to like the purer sound of the instrument. I mean, when I'm playing live in a band like Soft Machine, yeah, I'll have the old faithful fuzz books as well and things like to get big overdriven sounds and maybe some octaves splitted. And when I'm playing live, I'll put it into different choruses and different things. But when you're playing a nice acoustic, like one of the big halls, you don't need anything. You only need just enough of amplification with the instrument to bring it up to the level of the orchestra. And that's it, really. So that you know you can control your dynamics within that. You know, So finding that magic sweet spot sometimes is difficult. Are the faster movements hard? Well, yeah, I mean, some tricky little bits of thing. I think sometimes if you're a good player and can articulate, you should be able to do it, but it's the musicianship required to do, I think even the orchestra really had to think about some of the multi-time things that Andrew uses in the last movement because everybody when they started rehearsing was getting out and things because you have to stick your place. I suppose from doing the sort of progressive jazz rock thing, I was used to playing odd time signatures and stuff. So I naturally, I tend to play time thing more with the groove. So it's quite hard if somebody doesn't play a strict, like an imaginary click. So if they get out of it, Andrew did fantastic at trying to keep the orchestra in line to record and had to sort of, because even he says, crikey, I think there's a bit more work that the orchestra had to do than they thought to be able to do this so where you've got all these different multi-layer starting places yeah and Simon and myself sussed it out and I made sure that I think one of the things is anybody playing instruments I have to think about like you would do bar articulation or anything I do that with our finger the instrument and also for intonation and stuff you know I have to really think about the best places to make the instrument sing and bring it to life and how to attack those notes so that are in at a good sort of uh, attack because it's no use having the speed but no attack you know <laughs> well, that was it yeah those some tricky bits so that in that last movement you could easily come unstuck you know <laughs> a few times in rehearsals you know but we managed to sort of get it once everybody knew exactly 
I think with what you do as well is I try to not learn just my own parts. And I did this when I, I think from learning playing percussion orchestras that you try to learn by ear all the rest of the orchestral parts so you know where the entries are. So if something's slightly moving, you can go with it a little bit, you know, rather than you're counting and you're right, but something's moved. So it's always better. I think music in general, even if you're not playing the other parts, it's good to learn where they are. Yeah, totally. Because, I mean, I know there's great session plays we can read and everything and do everything, but I think it's better if you actually, as a performer, learn everything the complete thing yeah yeah obviously i do solo concerts on all the instruments and it's obviously it's all down to me to get it together and hopefully remember where i am you know everything else is you know with the bands i've got to do now there's a lot of people learning trying to listen to what everything else is going on because i might not have much of a part anyway because mm-hmm. they don't need to write it out like a session play as long as i've got the main selections then i can try and you know learn by the rest of it so I hopefully i can fit into it as a unit because i always offered lots of session work when i was young i did do lots of sessions particularly in the 80s because there's lots of nature films, lots of stuff, particularly where they wanted fretless basses with all the thing you're describing. And guitar, I mean, I play guitar and stuff as well, but yeah, it was really the bass was the instrument that really I ended up doing so much more development work. Yeah, and I had a chance to, you know, move on with that. Yeah, so, I mean, that's really a lot of the angles I've been at with it all, you know. So I'm glad to sort of hear it all again. The final effect is just so exciting and so beautiful. I just enjoy listening to it over and over again. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing is it's great, but you can put it on again and sometimes not have it for a bit and then put it on really fresh. Well, a lot of my dad's music is very... um There's a light feel about it. Yes, I think that's the great thing is the uplift of it all. Because we're very interested to talk about that because Andrew were talking about what the sort of modal thing that some of the guys improvisers use and stuff. Yeah. And he seems to incorporate all that in his books. You know, it's <laughs> incredible, you know, particularly things like the dominant, leading dominant. I love that one. He said we used to do test people out on it and stuff. And it's, you see it there in writing and the, the different sort of modal aspects. And I think the way he incorporates into his composition is incredible because it's this thing of creating fantastic melody. And that's the thing I love about Andrew's writing. It's got melodic stuff and it's not just a load of, I can't put all the composers down but you know it's just uh, and it's worth the effort to make it play that's the other thing I would say when music's you see what the end product's going to be or result you know, I don't think of it as probably it's just the end thing of the music then it's fantastic because then you're part of it you know something's a bit tricky it's worth putting the effort in you know could you explain what you mean by the leading dominant or well, the Lydian dominant it's one of the modes that's used in a lot of improvisation you know the Lydian dominant so it's like a Lydian sound, or they call it a Lydian flat seven sound. You can hear that in some of the concerto actually in places, you know. <laughs> so is that the Lydian mode? Yeah, it's a Lydian, but with a kind of one note change in it, really, you know. Okay. So it's a very interesting one. It's basically a derivative one of the melodic minor modes, you know. Okay. You've got all these different ones, you know. They all have different sounds depending on the harmonic nature of how it's used. And the thing is, it's being melodic, you know. I mean, sometimes, unfortunately, you see all the guys whizzing around on guitar, they're learning, but they don't think about how to incorporate it into a sort of melodic sense, you know. I mean, that's the thing with composition. It's, it's just all tools for composition, you know, it's what you create out of really which um, you know is incredible what Andrew's done I mean you listen to some of his other music as well he's got so many different connections you know and uh, fantastic modulations and you know they're pretty unique but for me it's that bringing that sort of melodic concept within all that is just to life you know so it really makes it worthwhile doing you know here is movement three from Andrew Downs concerto for guitar electric bass guitar and strings performed by Fred Thelonious Baker on the electric bass guitar, Simon Dinnigan on the acoustic guitar, and strings from the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, conducted by the composer Andrew Downs. (laughs) 
chance to work with somebody with great Simon as he was. Unfortunately, he's not been playing over the last so many years due to all this pen problem. That I mean, he's been writing, he's doing stuff for things and lots of filming for things. So we kind of lost touch over years and uh, it wasn't far from here in Derbyshire but uh, we could never do anything again playing I didn't want to sort of push doing anything because he was really sort of recovering with all that you know but Simon's one of the most magical players that England produced that the young class guitarist always think because he got that spirit and everything the tone and the beauty you know and I think he pushed himself to such a limit you know with the music Simon used to play on tour you know when he did his solo tours and incredible you know was it tendonitis well it was a kind of that it's some kind of they tried to sort it out and one of end of his big tours i mean that was a couple of years after we did andrew's piece in the recording it was simon was doing these amazing tours like doing solo guitar stuff and stuff with orchestras as well but it was just like i think he pushed himself to such a limit that it probably damaged himself in the process you know but always it's such a shame that was a, out of a lot of things you know and then myself in fact i remember finishing the soft machine tour about 12 years ago i came back i was really happy and I thought, I'll get back on with my solo stuff again. And I had all this problem with my spine. I didn't realise it had collapsed a bit and kicked you know, the nerves because I was, I was getting where I could not play particularly classical guitar. It was, I was seizing up and things. And then they found out I've got some collapse. Uh, is it C7 vertebrae and C9? There's all these different things in your neck. So I've learned a lot about my spine over the last 10 years. Of, especially this is great. And I've, how I've posture and play said so, look you've got really good posture and play and people who do the people friends who do the alexander technique and all this stuff and uh, by having a good technique it's helped me survive in a way and i've managed to play again so that's why i'm out doing things and solo stuff again so i just can't teach for too long if it's practical teaching when i've got to play in a company and do things with people i've got to be careful how much because a lot of the kind of jazz side improvised stuff i do requires you to be there actually playing you can't escape from it you know it's part of the thing that students want with you so I like to be able to in good form so I just have to pace my teaching when I do like stuff at the conservatoire so I can uh, do it all anywhere because I sometimes used to teach too long at some of the other colleges and then regret it later the next day because then my hands would just go like sponge you know jelly so I've learned to sort of deal with it as I get older I think I'm giving myself more time to do stuff you know that was my kind of thing why I didn't do so much solo stuff but I did manage to make a solo album what actually thinking of the Olympics what impressed me was seeing the Paralympics in uh, 2012 and I thought do you know what my friend's studio I'm going to ask Paul if I can go in who's a great record engineer right near the Crooked Spire in Chesterfield the old church he's got a lovely room what well, he did have I think it's gone now but and I managed to do a recording of my solo guitar stuff that I've not done before so I had to forget playing the bass for a bit and concentrate on that but I made it happen and it's because I paced it and I did it how I wanted to do it so I didn't have to do it all in one recording session I could go in when I was feeling good and do it you know and that was your own music yeah back then in 2012 stuff that was hanging around for ages and I thought I was gonna have to write it all out and get some of the guitarists to play it and I got the encouragement from other people from Phil Miller and John Eslis or oh, Phil said to me why don't you do it in bits then you know just get your mate who's a good engineer and sit with them and do it like that so that's what I did do a take go back so I didn't have to doctor anything I just when I could get a good take in one go and then just leave it so I didn't have to book the studio all day. I could just go for a couple of hours. And then... well, that sounds ideal. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah, the little acoustic room there. So, yeah, I managed to do it. So I played my dad's old guitar left me his Gibson on two tracks. So that was nice. I actually got a tribute into him, you know. And another nice thing was that John Mayer, the junior, and Dave Murphy, of course, they formed that record company. And when there was one of the reunions at the Conservatoire, I just finished recording that particular album. Obviously, I got the solo bass thing with voice print, which was classic print as well, which I helped set up all that stuff you know for Andrew it was like I got the album The Missing Link which has got some solo bass stuff 
on it. But I wanted to do the thing with the guitar. I kind of neglected it. And I thought, I'm going to do this before anything else happens to me. And yeah, that's on their label on, what was it? Well, it's gone on to Naxos now, I think, in America. They sold the rights on. So yeah, basically, Dave and John said to me at the reunion, said, well, I've got this label. Anything you got? I said, well, I've just got this album. There's a couple of people interested in it, but the company would have gone bust anyway at that time. So yeah, they're interested in putting it out. So that's how I ended up putting it on their label, you know. Wow. Tracker dedicated to all the NHS. This was way back then because I thought I was so impressed how they tried to look after me when I got the spinal thing. Basically, the deal was with a specialist says, well, you can have an operation, but it might paralyze you. So you can manage it or you've got this 50 50. I thought I'll go down the route of managing my life because I mean, it's very tricky with these things, you know. I mean, they can work or not work, you know what I mean? That's the thing. You can go through all that. We have to go through your neck like Frankenstein to do it, you know. But uh, Luckily, I've kind of kept it. And sometimes things like acupuncture can help to keep the ends of the nerves all right or other conditions, you know. Well, I tell you what, I was so relaxed once and somebody gave me a gig so I forgot all the music. <laughs> I was so ready to play. It was great, yeah. It only works to cure it for a little bit, but it's because you can't cure it. It's just one of those things of managing the whole thing. It could be a hereditary with a heavy spine, I've heard of things. So it's that, or it could be an accident I had years ago, you know, that set it all off. But yeah, so I did the thing that inspired me apparently. I thought, you know, I'm going to do this, mate. So that's how I did my solo guitar of it in 2012. And Johnny Mayer and you know, Dave Murphy with the record player label put it out. Here is Spinal Tap from Fred's CD, Life Sweet. The CD notes by Matthew Rook state, This piece is driven by a sense of percussive energy and rippling insistent bass. In terms of harmonic progression, there is a real sense of English modal folk music, alloyed with a driving African triplet pulse. The whole piece coils and rides around the melody like a hooked eel, as if it is constantly trying to seek some point of release and repose. Given Fred's own spinal problems, it is a brilliant musical metaphor for the never-ending dance on a high wire between musical ambition and physical limits. Thankfully, this time the music wins once more, but it is a bittersweet reminder of just how much that we take for granted hangs on a thread.
to follow you on some social media i tell you what the phil miller legacy you know you're looking for andrew's stuff i mean i'm looking after a lot of stuff for phil's site his wife when he died she had this great idea and her son and um other contributors as well to like keep phil's music alive and the great thing is that we've now got the guitar prize which they've used some of the legacy money towards students playing some of phil's music so there's a duo prize there's a well a solo guitar prize i've arranged stuff that's one of the things I did in lockdown trying to arrange it to play some of Phil's piece. I used to play with a band. I thought, is this possible to actually do it on a solo guitar? So I did that. That's the good thing. So I've got about three or four pieces that people can choose from. Even more, I'm gradually putting up their masterclasses on the site. And the bass pieces he wrote for them. So going back to the bass, there's this stuff, because Phil was another person who Andrew really liked, who really featured the baseball in the kind of jazz rock, progressive rock world. You know, I mean, that was Phil's big connection. And he wrote, again, some wonderful melodic stuff for the bass to play and some really tricky things. <laughs> still, to this day, you know, it's like, they've been a fantastic workout revisiting that. Stuff he wrote me over 30 years ago, but I've been able to do tribute to his memory because Phil died three years ago now. And we've got all this site, the legacy site, and 
is why I put the money up, you know, from the legacy to that it's all being managed at the conservatoire and all Phil's music scores over all the years, right back to when he was with Robert Wyatt back in the early days in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, so there's music going back that time that's all being preserved at the conservatoire by Pedro and the library. So we're going to have this whole archive with the conservatoire as a central point. And hopefully every year we'll be having the guitar prize and I'll be also having a band playing some of Phil's music. I'll have a 10 piece, almost a mini big band playing some of the music, you know. Oh, that's amazing. Amazing. Which I'll be able to direct. So I'm going to have quite going up to the conservatoire, a key role, in, as well as what I do solo, in helping keep Phil's music alive with all the young students and introducing it to them. Maybe something they've never heard before, you know. Phil Miller's Legacy website can be found at philmillerthelegacy.com. So tell me about the arrangement you did of the, the piano. Oh, the Cool Largo. Yeah. yeah. That was incredible. I mean, when we had the opportunity, because Andrew was thinking, I've, I've got these ideas of different things. What do you think to be able to try and do a duet out of this? And me and Simon, you know, we looked at it all and with a, what parts can we split up between the two instruments? You know, so that was a really big challenge because I had to work out on the bass. I suppose the bass is doing the left hand and bit all doing the harmonies in places and sometimes the top parts of the double harmony we did with the harmonics so I had to figure out how to make this work I thought well it goes down to this range and we've got that so luckily we found all the ranges you know you know it's very tight on the sound in places but it's absolutely magical you know I was listening to it yesterday and I thought oh, this is like this really brings it back like you know the whole thing you know it's just great to have the opportunity to do that do it with Simon yeah you know? I think magical is exactly the right word I mean that piece and your interpretation of it I can't stop listening to that sometimes I just think oh no I've got to listen to it again it is just so beautiful here is Cool Largo the arrangement for guitar and bass guitar of Andrew Downs Piano Sonatina Movement 2 performed by Simon Dinnigan and Fred Thelonious Baker
it's music that you don't have to be a player to enjoy. You can just be to somebody who enjoys listening to music. I think that's the important thing with music. Everybody forgets sometimes. There's an audience, there's listeners, people want to listen. You can get the music to them, you know. I think it's nice that Andrew's put it accessible so that people can get hold of it, you know. Yeah, that's our aim is to just make it available for people to listen to. It just feels like there's no point in it just, you know, sitting in a chest. It's a fantastic opportunity to really sort of run a appraisal of Andrew great and I mean Andrew's done such a lot for everybody all those students I think and they all feel that as well thanks so much for talking to us Fred and for all that you've done for my dad over the years this has been totally fascinating for me and I'm sure it will be for our listeners too 